who you are, young lady. You certainly know how to handle yourself well. Bad girl? Bad girl? Bad girl? Yes, bad girl. Biff Bam Pal. This is Batman Land. Our purpose here is quite serious. Each week we chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. We might as well get a few laughs out of it. We're discussing the episodes airing this week on SBS Vice Land. My name is Dan Barrett. I work on an SBS site here called The Guide. Joining me, as always, is the hero that Batman Land deserves. It's Nick Bassane. Deserves and needs right now. Let's say deserves. I'm not sure about needs. Mm. Yearns for? Um, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. Sounds a little bit thirsty, but let's go for it. Nick Bassane, we have here a continuation of last week's epic Joker-Catwoman team-up episode. I'm sorry, what show is this? This, again? this is a fact. Okay, yes. That's the thing that happened. Yeah, that's right. And then right. we saw the return of yours and my favorite villain on the show so far, Louis the Lilac. That's right. Yeah. He's amazing. Uh, isn't he just? Between the lavender and the cigar, it's very menacing. Yeah. What's your favorite aspect of Louis the Lilac as a character? Like, what's, he, what's your favorite trait? He's got shifty eyes. Hmm. I like the way he wears his hat. Yeah, he's got a great hat. I like, I definitely do like the lavender. Mm. I think it looks kind of cool. Now, Nick Bassine, I'd like to wax lyrical a little bit longer, but please remind us what the heck happened on this week's Batman. Okay, so on the first episode, which was a continuation of last week, Batman, Robin, and Batgirl get ready to leave that mansion where all the gunpowder supposedly is, but the Joker and Catwoman have sabotaged Batgirl's motorcycle. <laughs> and they tie her to the lawn. Won't she break through that thin twine, Catwoman? And she easily escapes. This is some sort of perfidious trick. That nightshirt that they stole last episode is a map to the gunpowder. Well, it's a funny map without any printing on it. So they start their gunpowder hunt. X does not mark the spot. Our heroes follow. It'll be much faster if we all go together. The search takes them to a lighthouse where a couple is bickering for some reason. Just stop talking. Stop talking. Batman, Robin, and Batgirl confront them, not the couple, Joker and Catwoman. Let's get them. They find the gunpowder. Joker accidentally lights it up. It's going to explode! It explodes, which under normal circumstances would mean certain grisly death. Stay calm, everybody. But Batman's anti-blast powder keeps them completely safe. Holy return from oblivion. Catwoman enlists the services of Lucky Pierre, the world's greatest and luckiest criminal attorney. They don't call him Lucky Pierre for nothing. Batman handles the prosecution. Lucky Pierre doesn't say a word, and the jury just finds them not, not guilty. guilty of any of the charges. Batman protests, and the lead juror pulls a gun on him. There's a fight. Batman turns to the camera and says he will never give up fighting amoral criminals or something. The more you work with Batman, the more amazing he seems. Louis the Lilac is at the library. What are you doing here? That was the episode. <laughs> and we'll, of course, talk about the next episode shortly. Yeah, I mean, later in the I episode, think we, we owe it to people. Well, I mean, this is what they're here for. Yeah. They've demanded it. Absolutely. They want more Louis. Yeah, they told the government. Yeah, Louis Louis. Nick Bassane, you're a gentleman, right? I have been known to be one. Yeah, I mean, you've always struck me as someone of whom is generally concerned about, you know, people's welfare. and People say I'm classy. Well, I haven't, but I think you are. Someone has. Yeah, you do wear the monocle to work, so. I do. Top hat. Mm. Tails. Yeah. Tap shoes. Yeah, which is a bit much. Well, Only because a little tap routine's out in the atrium. However, as a gentleman, I would presume, and look, I was raised reasonably proper, when you're, say, out with like a lady in the evening, doesn't necessarily need to be a lady that you're out with, just a lady. If you've dropped her off at the house and she's heading out to her house to like, en like enter her domain, okay, you wait outside, you wait for her to go up to the, 
uh, the doorway. To get inside. You wait for the door to shut. Yes, okay? absolutely. And then you head off. Of course. You give it a polite couple of minutes, just make sure that safety-wise everything's fine. That's right. It's all good. And absolutely. also, like, maybe they've forgotten their keys and then there could be a problem. They need you as that backup. Absolutely. All sorts of reasons you do that. I also used to wait for people to turn their cars on to make sure it turned on. Well, this is where I'm heading to because that's another thing that I do in a very similar manner. Batman and Robin, they just get straight into Batmobile, drive off, leave Batgirl there stranded with a Batgirl cycle that just isn't working anymore. Yeah, for someone who believes very much in uh, rigid gender roles, mm. Batman was not very chivalrous in that situation. Now, I should say, I approach this from a gender roles conversation, but I do that for most people. It's not like I'm just only doing it for the ladies. Like, you know, if there's a friend of mine just gone to the door, I just make sure that they can get in. I mean, yeah, I don't uh, do it. I don't make it about gender either. I only do yeah. it for people that I like. Mm. Which is funnier if I talked about it being a lady going to the door. But you just do that because, you know, you're a member of society and it's what we do for each other. Sure. Yeah. But uh, Batman and Robin, they're not obeying this rule. Yeah. It wasn't nice. Anyway, <laughs> this leads us to a situation where <laughs> Catwoman, the Joker, and their goons, what were the goons' names? It was... Um, laugh Laugh. Laughy's Happy. Um, giggle Puss. Giggle and Hoot. Ho Hooters. I don't think it was Hooters. I think you'll find one of them was named Hooters. I think it was Giggles and Laughter. Okay. I, th I think that was the name of the two right. You're the host. <laughs> Apparently. So anyway, they rock up, they tie up Batgirl and leave her on the lawn. Uh, now, he, they tie her up with apparently something that can be melted by water. So it was a cat whisker rope. Yeah. So I think what was going on, because I'll be honest... This early into the episode, my attention was already fading slightly. Oh. But what I think was happening was the cat whisker tape was going to just keep on contracting and it would leave her in a situation where it's cutting into her body and eventually Batgirl would perish. However, she smartly rolls over across the garden to the, the sprinkler yeah. system yeah. and presses one of the two buttons, presumably one's on, one's off. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's how yeah. she gets out. It's ingenious. It, it allows the whisker tape to expand rather than contract. Can I say, before we get into too many details, there was something about this episode that not only reminded me of the first season that got very weird and took some very strange turns, or it made me feel like this is where the show could have gone. I don't, I don't think it's a perfect episode by any means, but halfway through, turning into a courtroom drama, I think is a great idea. And having Batman be a lawyer is a great idea. Now, you've missed the previous episode where Batman was a lawyer. Which one was that? Uh, so this is an episode from, I think, midway through season two. Uh, it's a Penguin-centric episode, and it's called The Penguin's Nest and The Penguin's Last Jest. Two-parter, obviously. And Batman what was the was... case? Penguin versus who? Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'm trying to remember exactly. I think it was a civil case that was brought up against Batman and he was defending himself in court. Oh, oh wait a minute. This might ring a bell. Yeah, this this is quite a number of episodes ago at this point. But with a jury and everything? There was a jury. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. I do like the way that this played out. I enjoyed that visually it was actually quite different to what we usually see. And I think the reason for it is that the director who was looking after it had actually directed very few things until this episode. And so he came on he board. Cared. I think he cared. Yeah. But he really made it sort of a bit more visually dynamic than I think the show has been for a little bit. So there's a couple of moments in this episode that I really quite liked. I think the moment that I really enjoyed 
The tip-off that Batman receives to head to the corner of Cattail Lane and Nine Lives Alley, as he refers pretty much directly into the barrel of the camera, he says that it's behind the novelty manufacturing center of Gotham City. Yeah, what does that mean? It means that all the novelty things that we've seen, the various death traps and oversized things that people are constantly engaged in within Gotham City, it's all coming from this one little corner, the manufacturing center of Gotham City. Uh, well, every city has one. Hmm. This stuff comes to learn. Lucky Pierre, can we talk about him for a moment? He's the crack lawyer that the Joker and Catwoman have hired to look after their legal affairs here. He looked like he worked in a corner of the same stage they use for everything else. Look, you'd think so, but he's actually a fairly important political figure. Uh, the actor was Pierre Salinger. He worked as a press secretary under Presidents JFK and Lyndon Johnson. Why did he have a Nixon photo on his desk? I don't know, it's a bit baffling. But he also served briefly as the junior US senator from California from 1964 through 65. So this is pre this Batman episode when there was uh, Claire Engel who had passed away. And later on, P.S. Allinger went on to become a TV journalist. But this is why afterwards Batman made some comments about how it's a shame that he went down that route because he could have gone onto politics and maybe become What's president. What's the date one day. of this episode? So this is the very first episode that we watched in 1968. So this is the 4th of January. So in the 4th of January, Richard Nixon would have been running for president. Yeah. He would have been elected in November of 68 because he started in 69. Mm. So he's just a Nixon guy. This is way before Watergate or anything. It's just, what's the point? Yeah, I, he just wanted it there? I don't quite get what the joke is, to be honest. So weird. Anyway, it's there. But anyway, it's just another classic Batman 1966 moment. Well, he doesn't he doesn't really do much in the case, does he? He just kind of sits there quietly. He doesn't have any uh, cross-examinations, no questions, and then the, the jury's in his pocket. Well, he doesn't need to because the jury's in his pocket. What they should have done is, much the same way as in The Untouchables, they realized that it was a dodgy jury. They should have mentioned to the judge that he was implicated in the case somehow and then gotten him to switch the juries around from next door. You know, I've been thinking about The Untouchables a lot lately. Yeah. Because Tom Hardy's going to be Al Capone in a movie next year. Really? And he looks very much like Robert De Niro. That's, that's awesome. And there's photos of him doing Robert De Niro. How well do you know the Untouchables movie? I've seen it maybe th two or three years ago. Okay. So, so not, recently enough. I know the big moments. Yeah. The henchman that works for Al Capone, the guy who's all in white, the white-suited guy... Oh, the real nasty, menacing guy. Yeah, the one who gets thrown off the roof towards the end of the film. The stuck pig guy. That's exactly him. Yeah. Okay, so the actor's name's Billy Drago. Now, just a bit of trivia, which I just love, because this is a confluence of some of my favorite things coming together. So he's in The Untouchables, Billy Drago. His son is an actor named Darren E. Burrows, who was Ed in Northern Exposure. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was his son was Ivan Drago. I wish it was. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. He was very scary from what I remember in The Untouchables, that guy. Mm, but very not Ed good. from Northern Exposure, who was adorable. I don't remember who Ed is. I'm, I just pretended like I did. I thought it was a good bit of trivia. Yeah, that's, that is a good but bit But you don't of know who he is, so it's just kind of whatever. Can I continue on from what why else? I thought this episode could have been great? Okay. And was better than some of these other season three ones? Okay, what have you got? So it's got some legitimately funny moments. There could have been a lot more. It's got, I never mix crime fighting with eating. It's a good line. Catwoman, when she calls somebody, has to spell out Catwoman so that the person knows who she is. I like that. We've seen Batman do that kind of thing a bunch of times in the show. But that's the kind of thing that these episodes should be peppered with constantly. Oh, absolutely. 
those kinds of goofy jokes, Batman making sure it's a local call when Catwoman says she wants to call. <laughs> so there was a line about mayhem and then over, and overtime parking, all of their crimes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, and then he realizes there are no women, gentlemen of the jury. I, I didn't really get it, but you know, stuff like that. That's why I like this show. And I just wish more of these season three episodes had more of that sort of thing. Look, that's fair enough, because I think there aren't that many jokey asides. But I did think this this episode had more of those funny moments. We mentioned this at the end of last week's episode, but apparently what was supposed to happen in this episode was the previous episode would have a death trap in it and then would pick up again from, you know, as the show used to do. They'd be, you know, stick around for next week, same Batman time, same Batman channel. And right. there'd be the death trap, and then they'd resolve the death trap. Now, because this season has no death trap like conclusions anymore, they didn't have that, and so they rewrote this sequence where it's the Batgirl out on the lawn, and you know, it's the goons waiting outside the. The goons were waiting outside. That yeah. was the threat. That's exactly it. You know, so there was no big cliffhanger. However, it was written to have a cliffhanger in it. So when Batman and Robin and Batgirl confront Joker and Catwoman and the goons inside the lighthouse. There's a reference made by the Joker to uh, you guys are alive and because all three of them were supposed to be in a death trap in the last episode that was never in it. Yeah, I was wondering why they were saying that. Yeah. No! You're kaput! Fini! Defunct! We're very much not defunct, Joker. Hey, can we get to the courtroom for a moment? Now, there was no one sort of in terms of the lesser known cast that sort of jumped out at me as being a little bit interesting, except for one person. The court stenographer in the episode, oh, right. who I don't think has any lines, uh, the actress's name was Charlotte Portnoy. Anyway, she's interesting to me because this isn't the only time she played a court stenographer, but rather the first four seasons of Night Court in the mid-80s, she was the court stenographer there. She was in 44 really? episodes. Wow, she just made a little niche for herself. Yeah. Although these are the only two times that she played a court stenographer in her, in her average length career. Uh, I watched part of it with my children. Hmm. The eight-year-old, he is certainly more biased towards the modern stuff. That's his, uh, Christian Bale is his Batman, maybe even Ben Affleck now. But he is still very entertained by this show. That's great. Which I think is great. And even better is my two-year-old is obsessed with it. He, uh, ever since he saw this episode, yeah. he hasn't stopped singing the Batman song. That's fantastic. And last night, because um, he is the prime audience for the show. He is. Uh, last night, when it was time for him to go to bed, he couldn't finish watching the episode. And he was screaming, Batman, Batman, while his mother took him away to put him to bed. It's funny, because I was trying to watch the end of the episode as well, and our colleague Fiona Williams was trying to get me to do something else, and I screamed pretty much the same thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No, it's a natural reaction. Hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there in case anybody's watching uh, with their kids. It's yeah. good. No, it is good. Now, this episode actually marks the final time of it being a Catwoman episode. I know, rest in peace. Or, well, she doesn't die, does she? She doesn't die. So Catwoman does technically appear in another episode, but I think it's just like a flash sort of brief moment and it's not one of the regular Catwoman actresses playing. Not even Lee Merriweather. No, it's just a stand-in. So anyway, it's essentially the end of the Catwoman character for the series. So we can say goodbye to her as portrayed in this episode by Eartha Kitt. It's been a hell of a run. Anyway, it got me thinking, now that we've seen Catwoman in her entirety... Who's your favorite Catwoman? Halle Berry. Well, I was going to say, and let's include the movies and other media into this. Now that we've seen all of Catwoman in Batman 66, before Batman 66 started, or I started rewatching all the episodes, I would have said, hands down, quite easily, Michelle Pfeiffer. Same. But then 
watching a lot of Julie Newmar, she has been really great. I still think I want to, I prefer Michelle Pfeiffer, but Julie Newmar is now a very, very close second. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you here. Julie Newmar is number one for me now. Great. Huge fan of what she did. Michelle Pfeiffer, number two. I totally understand. Yeah. And then after that, I'd probably drop in a Lee Merriweather. Yeah, I, I totally get it because Julie Newmar is so good and so funny, but you're also making a huge mistake. <laughs> but yeah, number three, I'd go Lee Merriweather. Number four, probably but that's Eartha just based Kitt. on the movie. Yeah. She's only the in the movie. We've only got Michelle Pfeiffer in one movie as well. Oh, good point. Yeah, touche. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Halle Berry comes up. Whatever the last place will be is her. Uh, we've also got Anne Hathaway, who played Catwoman. You know, it has more to do... The only reason I'm picking Michelle Pfeiffer over Lee, uh, Julie Newmar is that character is written with a lot more power. Like she's a lot nastier and has a lot more... Um, Bites? Yeah. Whereas Julie Newmar has to lose every episode. Yeah, to an extent. I kind of get that. But at the same time, I feel that Julie Newmar came through with uh, such a devil-may-care attitude that I'm just completely on board with her. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite Julie Newmar Catwoman line? Uh, look, I wouldn't be able to give you the line exactly, but I really enjoyed the moment where she was on top of the... It was like by the pier and she was on top of the building and Batman's there trying to convince her to come down to the top of the pier. And she's just talking about killing Robin. And that bit just had me laughing. And there's another great moment where Adam West is talking to her there and he said something about how he'd do anything for her. And she's like, Batman, marry me. And he's like, except that. <laughs> anyway, it's a great scene. It's probably my favorite Catwoman scene from the series. There's a couple of good I'd like to murder Robin lines. Mm. That was always very funny when she did that. Shall we move on to the next episode? Do you want me to synopsize the next episode? Nick, unless I'm mistaken, I'm pretty sure we've got a second episode here. We sure do, Dan. Do you want to know what it's about? Oh, yeah. Let's give that a go. Okay, so we're at Bruce Wayne's summer house. Where the elite flee the heat. Turns out he has a summer house. Who knew? Excuse me, we don't know it's a summer house. It's a beach house. It's a lovely beach house, Bruce. So at Bruce Wayne's beach house, Dick and his friends find some ambergris. You mean the stuff given forth by whales from which they make perfume? Which is a whale secretion that makes perfume on the beach. It doesn't make the perfume on the beach. It's They found it on the beach. Let's go back and see if we can get some more. Not so fast, Junior. Louis the Lilac kidnaps Bruce and Dick. He brings the ambergris to one of the three Asians that have ever appeared on this show. Oh, this ambergris will help me greatly. The police are putting together a greatest hits supercut of Batman and Robin moments for some reason. A maintenance man almost finds Batgirl's secret Batgirl changing room. Sure, I, I'm a sucker for secret closets. Louis the Lilac tries to get Bruce Wayne to extract glands from some animals for the perfume he wants to make, but Batgirl and the police show up at his factory. We have you surrounded. Batgirl gets zapped and they're going to turn her into perfume. Cloned Batgirl. If they'll spare her life, Bruce promises to extract the glands from muskrats. Muskrats, sure. Instead, Bruce and Dick get their costumes out of pellets when added to water. Instant unfolding bat costumes. Batgirl gets out of the vat and there's a big fight. The police arrest Louis the Lilac. Another colorful crook is in the clink. The following week, Commissioner Gordon is going to be murdered by a woman's rights advocate. Miss Nora Clavicle. And? And of course, the Vietnam War rage is on. I kind of like the beginning of the episode where you've got them at the beach house. I loved it. I thought it was good. It sort of a opened up the set. world of Batman a little bit. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, we didn't know he had a beach house until now. 
No, it was very exciting, and everyone was in beat their beach clothing. Mm-hmm. Dick, of course, was very questionably dressed in um, some sort of matching orange and brown striped monstrosity. He probably spent hours throwing that outfit together. Once again, he looks like he's 11. He's dressed like an 11-year-old, but he's probably 16. I have to say, while I liked in previous episodes, this is more a season one going into season two thing, you'd often have like mod Bruce. Like you'd be getting around in like sort of cool Don Draper style duds and he just seemed like a really cool guy of the moment. In this, I'm not so sure I was a big fan of the handkerchief around the neck business. I don't like the cravat, but I think I really liked his shirt and the white pants. Mm. I thought it it looked pretty good and relaxed. And, um, And also... No offense to the great Adam West. It just fits a little bit better than the tight. Uh, you see less of his gut. Oh, I see what you're saying. Is what I'm saying. It's just yeah. it's just a nicer fit. And Barbara seemed very summery with an outfit, which I think was yeah. great for relaxing by the beachside. She looked great. Yeah, it was great for Gotham that time of the year, which I guess is maybe the time where we mentioned that we're launching our own fashion blog sometime soon, Nick. Yeah, it's called Dan and Nick Want to Put Some Clothes on You. I was going to go with the gothamgents.com.au, but either yeah. way. Okay. Dot net. Dot buzz. Dot biz. That's enough, Jim. So Bruce and Dick get kidnapped, and immediately what happens is instead of maybe starting some sort of campaign to try to rescue them, Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara are there with Barbara Gordon once again in Gordon's office, and that's watching a clip of like the best bits of Batman from the last couple of years. Well, they're trying to get some clues. I didn't understand that at all. I was baffled by it. So they're playing this reel with episodes from the Shame two-parter. There was some King Tut episodes in there. There was a Joker Penguin episode in there. There was a whole bunch of episodes we've seen. But who was filming any of that? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a great question. How do they get that on tape? Absolutely baffling. And so if they can get that on tape, are we watching essentially a Gotham PD style version of Cops where we're just following Batman and Robin around? Or are is this some sort of, um, what was that David Fincher movie that came after Fight Club? Zodiac? No, the, um, the one with Michael Douglas. Oh, The Game. Yeah, The Game, where Batman and Robin are just in some sort of gauntlet created by the police who throw these cartoonish villains at them so they can watch them defeat them. Oh, look, it's entirely possible. It would make sense why they'd call them immediately at the, at the beginning of every episode, and they don't even try. Nick Bassane, I think you've just cracked this series. Oh, my God. Good grief. I mean, it's an ingenious idea. But you know who the real victim is in this? The children? Well, you've got poor Aunt Harriet at home who isn't aware about the fact this is clearly all shenanigans because she's deeply upset. She's so upset we don't even see her in the episode. I think Aunt Harriet wouldn't like hearing you describe her as a victim. She's never been a victim a day in her life. Well, beg to disagree. Nick Bassine, bit of a sad moment. As in the previous episode, we said goodbye to Catwoman as a character. In this episode, this is the last reference made to Aunt Harriet. Was there, she referenced in this episode? She was. So when the press are knocking on the door to get Alfred to give some comments as to the missing Bruce Wayne and Dick Where's Bruce Aunt Harriet? He says, you know, you guys have to leave. Mrs. Cooper's upstairs, deeply upset about all of this. Oh, he says that? Yeah. It was a very emotional moment. Did he, was he implying that she was about to die? No, I think she was just upset. And the press, like, harassing them at the house was maybe just a little bit too much for her constitution to handle. He stopped just short of calling the press the enemy of the people. Well, I mean, it was a whole bunch of fake news coming around at Gotham. Yeah. All of that is interrupted, though, when Barbara rocks up at the house... And so she's there and she's like, you know, Alfred, is there anything I can do? And he lets her go into the study. 
It made me realize that no, nobody goes into the study. No, no one's allowed to. Aunt Harriet's not allowed in there. Right. If you remember, there was an episode she was going to take a whole bunch of girls from presumably her bridge club or some sort of social group she's in, and they were going to sneak in there, and then Alfred stopped them from going in one day. That's why he had to cover up the red bat phone. And Alfred didn't want her messing around with um, the Shakespeare thing, which is some kind of bust. Very impressive. Yeah. Moment of the episode for me is Barbara goes back to her apartment. There's some maintenance guy of whom just let himself into the apartment. Very strange. Which, let me tell you, if a maintenance person just let themselves into my rental apartment, I would have some issues going on. I would not be happy about that. Yeah, I'd be calling the body corporate. Things would... There'd be conversations had. But anyway, he's in there because apparently there have been complaints from neighbors about a whole bunch of like noises coming from the rotating wall that she has in the apartment. Right. Now, this answers a question that I had, which is, did she install that for her Batgirl lair? And apparently, no, it's always been there. Which is strange. Which is strange. Okay. But she's like, just says, look, I know that the wall's there, but I usually just use this door and I'm just using stuff behind there as storage. Okay, and she, apparently she's got a button to press, which immediately turns it into a whole bunch of rags being shoved over all the Batgirl stuff. Yeah, but it also looks like she doesn't need the rotating wall at all. She can just walk around to the other side of the wall. Mm. What's the point? This so is the she question doesn't I've have had. to wa- take those five seconds to walk around through that door? It's baffling why she's using, going to the effort of using that wall rotating to annoy her neighbors. It should be revealing a hidden room. Yeah. It should be, but there's just a door right next to it. It is madness. But even then, that's not the moment of the episode. The moment for the episode for me comes as she's pushing the maintenance guy out of the house, and she ends up saying to him that she owns several guns in her apartment. Yes, I found that very strange as well. That was confronting. It was terrifying. Why does she have several guns? Is it because she's an American and it's a God-given right? I, I assume they're making some kind of connection to a woman protecting herself in the big city, maybe. But it's a pretty weird thing to say under any circumstances, I think. Yeah. More scarier than a supervillain with a gun is a timid librarian with a gun. And also, what is the message to children there? Well, speaking of children, do you think that Dick Grayson's allowed to carry firearms at this point? No, I think you have to be 21 or something. Hmm. And speaking of Dick Grayson, did you notice that Burt Ward had less lines in this episode than I think in any other episode of Batman to date? Yeah, I also noticed that Batman and Robin are barely in the episode. Yeah. I mean, this is probably more minutes we've seen of Adam West as Bruce Wayne than in any other episode. I saw more of Burt Ward's hairy legs. Those were grown man's legs. Mm. I was transfixed. Uh, I was transfixed by the instant unfolding uniforms. You just add them to water. And look, I'm no scientist, but I'm pretty sure it all seems legit. Yeah, it's like those little, um, those things that you put in water and they become little dinosaur sponges. Mm, like sea monkeys. Yeah, same thing, same concept. Yeah. Hey, I was very impressed for a moment, just a fleeting moment, about Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara rocking up and being able to find Louis the Lilac's lair without, you know, resorting to Batman and Robin to do all their legwork for them. I was very impressed with that. Until I saw when Batman and Robin turn up outside the building and there's giant signage outside the building saying, Louis the Lilac Perfume Factory. At which point I realized, come on, guys. Yeah, I thought he was a criminal. How is he allowed to own a a factory? Nick, I cannot answer that. I thought Milton Burrow was very funny, especially when um, Miss Lotus is uh, reading off the ingredients that she needs. 
Yeah. I thought it was considerably funnier than he was in the previous episode. I think it did a good job. Mm. Did you happen to look at the IMDb list of that Asian actress? I did. So her name's Nobu McCarthy. She was a former Miss Tokyo, and she was just in a lot of shows and movies in the 70s and the 60s where you you can be sure that she was heavily orientalized, let's say. Exoticized? Yes. Mm. Like she was in this in this episode with the exaggerated accent and everything. Yeah. Nick Bassine, this brings us to the end of another Batman Land episode. We do have next week's look forward to with Nora Clavicle making her appearance in the show. Yeah, now... Everyone's favorite Batman villain, Nora Clavicle. Has she been on the show before? No. So she's a woman's rights activist, but she's planning to murder Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. The two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Okay. Well, I just found um, that to be a strange connection to make. Eh, she's just a complicated lady with a lot going on. Do you think that the sexism quotient will be very high for that episode? I don't know, but the introduction of the character, I really just liked the approach to it. There was something that just seemed so bold about her standing there saying that she's going to get him. Yeah, okay. Hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Me too, definitely. Now, Nick Bassine, we do like to wind up Batman land with any lessons we've learned from the Bright Knight himself. Did you walk away this week with any sort of in, any, any greater understanding of the world? Well, we, I mean, we talked about it, but I learned that if the people that are taking care of your apartment building overstep their boundaries, the best way to let them know that you mean business is to say that you are heavily armed mm. and that you are strapped and ready to pop at any moment. Yeah. Now I'll say I didn't walk away with the episode with a great learning, but I have maybe a fear that I've walked away with from this episode. If they get their hands on Charlie... The number of secrets that are going to be revealed, it's going to be devastating. I'm Who's very concerned. Charlie? Batgirl's bird. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. He does know. He knows too much. He knows way too much. The bird who knew too much. Stay tuned. Yeah. Nick Bassine, it's been a pleasure. People can find you on Twitter. Where do they do that? You can find me at it better be a local call dot Twitter underscore Facebook or at Nick Bassine. You got to learn how that social media works. People are not going to be able to get in contact with you. It's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. Uh, If people want to find me, they can find me at the Dan Barrett. That's on Twitter and also Facebook. You can find me there, I guess. I'm around. I've seen you there. Yeah. (laughs) I got some stuff going on. Nick Bassine, if people want to talk about Batman land, they just leave the hashtag Batman land around the place. Do that. Uh, Leave reviews. Helps people find the podcast. And of course, if you're enjoying this podcast, they might like you on the playlist. Oh, yeah. Well, the playlist is a candid cultural conversation, Dan. I'm sure they would love it. Indeed. Folks, we'll be back next week as we explore the greatness of Nora Clavicle. Where is the clavicle? It's this thing, isn't it? I'll show you afterwards. Oh, God. Oh, no. Same Batman Land time. Somebody call and check in on me. Same Batman Land channel. First is where that western bad man Shame cornered him in a cattle stampede. And next is when Robin the Bye Wonder was almost eaten alive by a giant clam. Oh, and in this one, Mr. Freeze is making him into frosty freezes. And here they are chasing King Tut. That's enough, Jim. What's he gonna do when they come for you, bad boys, bad boys.